I'm Dan. And I'm Alice. And I'm Alexi. We're going to be looking into two different computer worm viruses that were very early on and they just are kind of funny to me. We can start with what is a computer worm? So it's like a program that sort of copies itself into other computers just as much as possible. And what does the program actually do? Is it an app? Like what kind of things does it Alright, so like worm is a general just like overhead term of a program that copies itself onto other computers automatically, but it's m most often like maliciously and it's like a type of hacking, but it's like widespread and automated essentially. So like no human intervention is needed. And if you think of it in other terms, you can also think about this as a biological virus where the cells try to reproduce as quickly as possible and infect as many hosts as possible, where the virus will go in, infect one cell, and then its offspring go out and infect many more in the area. Yeah. So it's different from a traditional computer virus, which just sort of like infects other programs in order to transmit itself to other programs and such. But worms are genuinely their own programs, and so they don't need any sort of host software for it, and they don't need any action from humans in order to replicate. It just does it. So, the first ever computer worm is generally considered to have been created by a Harvard computer science graduate student whose name is Robert Morris. It was released on November 2nd, 1988 from a computer at MIT. This was actually a year before the creation of the World Wide Web. And so this was called the Morris Worm, after its creator, of course. It actually wasn't really meant to cause as much of an issue as it did. It was most likely meant to be like a sort of prank, but I could not find what the actual intended purpose was. And I don't know if Morris ever said what it was supposed to do, but he was known to be sort of a prankster, so that's kind of the idea. He clearly hadn't made it completely innocently since he hacked into the MIT systems to send it out from there, rather than at Harvard where he attended. As someone who has gone on college tours to both schools, I can attest to the fact that MIT is salty as heck about this, and Harvard absolutely brags about it in their college tours. Amazing, I love it. The thing was, this program actually had an error in the code that caused it to replicate and reinfect machines like a lot, a lot faster than originally anticipated. So this meant that the systems just slowed down a ton because they were processing the worm and sending it out. Some were infected so many times and stuff that they genuinely could not do anything else. That was As just all they were doing. Yeah, especially since these were earlier computers. This virus targeted Unix-based computers, and for reference, Unix is an operating system such as iOS for Apple devices or Windows for PCs. So this virus essentially took out approximately one in every 10 computers. And did those computers ever come back or was the worm just it for them? Yeah, so they came back. It's just like, well, they had the worm in them and they were just keep being reinfected. They just couldn't be used. So not ideal. This affected like many colleges as well as research centers, uh, some of which were Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, NASA, and Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Morris had not intended for the program to propagate so quickly. After it had done so, he actually ended up contacting two friends to, 
tell them that uh, and he explained to them like what had happened and he asked uh, one of the friends to send out an apology anonymously with an explanation on how to kill it and prevent reinfection. Um, but unfortunately, the networks were actually so clogged by this virus, it didn't get to many people in time to save them, which is kind of tragic. Then the other friend ended up contacting the New York Times anonymously. Clearly not that anonymous. Well, like, the thing was, he referred to Morris by his initials, so narrowed it down a lot. This led to the Times actually figuring out who was responsible. So, like, Morris was found, even though he tried to kind of, like, cover his tracks and stuff. This virus, like, broke federal law. Um, since in 1986, which was two years before this happened, Congress had passed the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. This outlawed unauthorized access to protected computers. That ended up in Morris being found guilty, and he actually was the first person to be indicted under this law. So, yippee! I would love to be the first on something like that, huh? Luckily for him, he was actually not put in jail, but he was given a fine, probation, and 400 hours of community service. So, comparatively, it was just a slap on the wrist. This worm was nationally discussed uh, because it had impacted so many people, because there were like tons of people who genuinely kind of couldn't use their computers for a while, especially like research and like college institutions and stuff. This ended up as kind of a wake-up call uh, for the need of cybersecurity. In addition, this worm also inspired a new generation of hackers, which is not ideal. Please do not follow in their footsteps. Another very notable virus was um, very unfortunately named Wank. And yes, the creators absolutely knew what they were doing when they named this. Yeah, probably. I wouldn't doubt it. But so that's an acronym for Worms Against Nuclear Killers. So this was, was released in 1989. Finally, Wank for a good cause. The cause is debatable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're especially nuclear the killers? I'm just saying, given the effect that it had. Yeah. But, so this was released in 1989, about a year after the Morris worm. And so this was actually the first major worm with a political message. The first massive scale incident of what has since been coined as hacktivism. Very creative name. Uh, yeah. NASA had been planning the launch of the Galileo space probe, like at this time. And so they did end up having a successful launch. But it was plutonium-powered, which was the reason that NASA was targeted, because, like, they were against nuclear power and anything to do with nuclear. And so it was created very clearly by people who wanted to protest this use. This worm caused a message to appear on the infected screen uh, with some, I guess, impressive ASCII art, just of its name and stuff. It's not the most advanced ASCII art. Like, I was kind of like, wow, y'all put time into this, huh? If you're gonna mess with NASA, you have to make an impression. Yeah. It also said, your system has been officially wanked. So, you know, very interesting. It had a quote on the bottom that said, You talk of times of peace for all, 
and then prepare for war, which was a quote from an Australian band. I appreciate that they took the time to shout out their favorite band lyrics to NASA. Yeah, I mean, that's just how it be sometimes. Look, if I had the opportunity to shout out Sting, I absolutely would. I get it. It also sent cryptic messages to other machines on the same network, such as, like, George Orwell was an optimist. Don't feed bats tonight. Truly ahead of their times with this warning. Mm, yep. Another one was like, remember, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. I think that's rather powerful. Fair enough, honestly. Once a rat, always a rat. It also rang phones to annoy people who were there, and it kind of pretended to delete all the files on the computers, but it didn't actually do that. Honestly, it didn't actually, like, do any harm or, like, it didn't do that much, you know? Well, I mean, if you've ever experienced incessant phone calls and what that does to your ability to contact others, I would say that that's a bit more of a major issue. Yeah, but on the other hand, they didn't delete every file from the computers, you know? I suppose that's the difference between personal and professional inconvenience. Yeah. I think if every if all the files on my computer were deleted, I would actually cry. You know, that's fair. This was a worm, so it automatically traveled through the system, and thus the worm didn't stop at NASA, and it actually spread across the world. Oh, good job. Uh, this was actually on purpose, pretty sure, because they actually put something in to prevent it from going into New Zealand, because New Zealand had recently, like, put in a no-nuclear thing and, like, didn't allow the U.S.'s nuclear whatever stuff, like, dock on their harbors and stuff. So they were clearly, uh, pretty happy with, um, New Zealand, huh? Couldn't it still be spreading across? At what point does a worm run out? Like, how come we haven't really seen these worms recently? Well, so basically they found a way to kind of stop it. They just found a way to delete it, you know? Obviously the government was kind of intent on finding where this came from. So they traced it to a line from France. And France was like, hmm, interesting. So the French Secret Service looked into it and ended up finding that it had come from a line to Australia. And this was a little bit appalling, since Australia had been added to the global internet less than four months ago. Never underestimate bored nerds. Yeah. Yeah, that is indeed something that you should not underestimate. This worm was eventually found to be from two teenage boys. Their names on the internet were Electron and Phoenix. Tag yourself, I'm Electron. <laughs> Easily Phoenix. Uh, I'd probably be Electron too, man. You can be the worm. Oh, true. What do you mean could be? She is. Oh, also true. And so Electron was the main creative force behind it. And he was just 17 when, he made, when they made the worm. And I'm pretty sure that Phoenix was around the same age. But I couldn't find an exact number for Phoenix. Since they were minors, only their aliases were published, like, in articles and stuff, which, you know, I support. And I personally am not that interested in finding out who exactly they are and all that stuff, because it's like, why? This was, like, way long ago. I misspent my youth. My opportunities. <laughs> oh my god, what a mood. Oh, <laughs> well, we're making up for it now, aren't we? I suppose. Oh, wow, what a burn to our own podcast. We were never gonna get prosecuted. 
Um, Speak for yourself. Well, I will get prosecuted. Thank you very much. So these two were not jailed, but they were obviously prosecuted and they did get like some forms of punishment and stuff, which yes, absolutely. And Electron has mentioned remorse about it and was like, yeah, I was a dumb teenager, <laughs> which understandable. So I think that there was definitely something more lenient about their sentencing than if they had like actually done things to the government systems, especially those in the US, because like that would not The US been. goes hard. Yeah. I feel like I have to put in kind of a thing so like, you know, please do not hack into things because the government will not be lenient with you. I don't know. It seems like they've been pretty lenient. That was the Australian government. Oh, the Morris guy. Yeah, he was the first one. <laughs> and I think things have evolved over the past 30 years. I'm just going to take a guess that as the internet has evolved, our rules have somewhat changed. I mean, the laws haven't changed that much, but like the way that we interpret them almost definitely have. I can't believe that law was on the books for two years and they didn't have to prosecute a single person for it. Well, again, the you know, more widespread internet didn't really exist. Yeah. And so it took a little while for board nerds to go as far as uh, graduate pranks. Yeah. They were still in the days of stealing cannons. Sounds about right. Please do not do what these folks have done, because if you do exactly the same thing, then they'll know that this was intentional and you will not have a good time. The rules are not as lenient as they used to be. Yeah. So... You really are impacting people, and the legal system will not be kind to you, etc, etc. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.